0: It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Friday, June 4th, 2021. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. The inclusion of children 12 and over in the eligibility pool has pushed down Sitka's overall vaccination statistics, at least in the short term. KCAW's Robert Woolsey attended a teleconference with the state's top doctors this week and filed this report.
1: The U.S. Food and Drug Administration authorized the emergency use of the COVID vaccine in 12- to 15-year-olds on May 10th. Prior to that, when eligibility was for anyone over 16, Sitka reported that over 70% of its eligible population had received at least one dose of vaccine. It was one of 11 boroughs reporting vaccination rates in this range. The addition of 12- to 15-year-olds last month pushed Sitka and seven other boroughs out of the 70s and into the 60s. Sitka's vaccination rate for its eligible population now stands at 61 percent. Nevertheless, the infection rate in Sitka is low and flat, and elsewhere in Alaska, it's coming down fast.
2: As everyone's seen and been very excited, the numbers really have been um, dropping down. You know, we're still expecting that we'll see little flare-ups and clusters um, as this goes on, but overall the the numbers are, are really trending downward.
1: Dr. Louisa Casterdale heads up the Infectious Disease Program in the state section of epidemiology. The statewide rate of vaccination for residents 12 and over is not far behind Sitka's, 53 percent, or about 320,000 residents. As the state continues its efforts to distribute vaccine, She's beginning to examine data around those who are still getting sick.
2: It's just going to be really interesting as we go forward and we see these smaller numbers um, to really figure out a little bit more, you know, where are they getting their infections um, and and who are they able to transmit it to if there's a, a larger population that is vaccinated.
1: For health officials, the efficacy of the vaccine is beyond dispute. Alaska is reporting around 40 new cases a day of covid down from a peak of over 1,000 cases a day in the fall of 2020. Of the recent hospitalizations for COVID in Alaska, 98% of the patients have been unvaccinated. Dr. Ann Zink, Alaska's chief medical officer, says the low hospitalization rate for COVID lately is a good thing, since demand for those beds tends to go up this time of year.
3: Hospitals in Alaska tend to be quite busy in the summer, so making sure people still helmet up and wear their eye protection when they go fishing and all the other things that we tend to see in the hospitals and the ERs uh, this time of year. Uh, But fortunately, COVID has been down. Uh, We are overall fifth in the nation right here with hospitalizations uh, per population.
1: Zinc added that Alaska was very close to dropping into a low-risk category for coronavirus, which is less than five cases per 100,000 people. And vaccination remains the state's top priority. Anyone coming into the state at a major airport can receive a free vaccination this summer. The state is also developing vaccination programs for vulnerable populations, such as those who have no permanent shelter or regular access to primary health care. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey.
0: The Alaska Marine Highway is changing its schedule to accommodate guests attending the upcoming funeral service for the late Tlingit leader and politician Albert Kukash. According to a release from the state's Department of Transportation, the Lakanti will make two additional stops in Angoon, one on June 3rd and one on June 6th. The memorial service for Kukash will be held at 6 p.m. on Friday, June 4th. Those unable to attend in person can attend virtually on Sea Alaska's website or on YouTube. You can find a link to the services on our website at kcaw.org. A group of Juneau residents who want to limit cruise ship traffic in town didn't get enough signatures to advance their proposed ballot initiatives. KTOO's Jeremy Shea reports.
4: Wednesday was the deadline to turn in petition signatures of qualified Juno voters. Instead of turning in booklets with thousands of signatures to the city clerk, Carla Hart delivered letters addressed to the Juno assembly.
0: We collected a substantial number of signatures, but we did not collect enough. The weather and the pandemic were daunting foes. Um, we're confident with a little bit more time, we could have achieved the number.
4: Hart wouldn't say how many signatures they managed to collect. Her group, Juno Cruise Control, needed about 3000 for each of their 3 proposals to go forward. The group wanted to ban cruise ships between 7 p.m. and 7 a.m. and on Saturdays, and then beginning in 2026, ban cruise ships over a certain size. The letter Hart's Group submitted asks the Juno Assembly to impose some limits and for the cruise ship companies and tour operators to voluntarily limit their impacts.
0: We're going to give the city the chance and the industry to do the right thing. Okay. And if they don't, we'll be back. Well, we're not going away at all. We'll be around. Right.
4: So, Hart said industry opposition and a counter-campaign also made signature gathering difficult. The group claims in its letters that some people were supportive but wouldn't sign because they feared blowback in their job or at their business or with their friends, neighbors, and relatives. After meeting with the clerk at City Hall, the group took press questions under a park shelter across the street. There weren't any big cruise ships in town, but Hart kept getting interrupted by trucks hauling yeah, shipping containers.
2: that were not used for commercial tourism, and these guys must be really happy there's no cruise ships right now. <laughs> imagine the buses
4: the <laughs> yeah, so... Laura Martinson is a downtown gift shop owner and co-chair of Protect Juno's Future, which ran the Don't Sign campaign against the ballot initiatives. She says her group was overwhelmed with gratitude. I don't
2: think any of us expected this kind of groundswell of unity across the community, and we really heard the resounding voices of stakeholders far and wide.
4: Martinson says that includes local business owners, employees, native corporations, unions, and citizens without tourism ties concerned about a sustainable future for Juno. Martinson says the failure of the ballot initiatives clears the way for discussion and work to continue on managing the growth of the visitor industry. City officials are beginning to work through a long list of recommendations from the Visitor Industry Task Force, whose work got put on a back burner when the pandemic struck last year.
2: The Visitor Industry Task Force did an enormous amount of work to lay the groundwork on how we should proceed and how
4: we should best manage our industry moving forward. Assemblymember Carol Treem chaired the task force. She says some recommendations, like extending seasonal barriers along sidewalks that keep pedestrians out of the street, have already been implemented. And she says the assembly will be ready to discuss creating a city staff position focused on tourism impacts soon. Meanwhile, Hart says volunteer support for her group grew from a handful at the beginning of the ballot initiative process to perhaps 50 now.
2: Next time, we'll start with a lot more power. If there's a next time. There will be an assembly. I I still have hope the assembly will do the right thing.
4: (laughs) City codes may bar Juno Cruise Control from trying ballot initiatives again for at least six months. Hart says that's fine by her. In Juno, I'm Jeremy Shea.
0: The University of Alaska is launching a system wide program geared toward retaining more Alaska Native students and increasing Alaska Native staff members. KTOO's Bridget Dowd reports.
3: Sarah Peel, whose Haida name is Tukchuk-A, is a student at University of Alaska Southeast. She transferred from the Fairbanks campus, where she says the professors didn't make her feel welcome. They were all white. They were not originally from Alaska. They were from lower 48 or um, a different country.
2: And um, they had little to no knowledge of whose land they were on. And they did not care when I brought that up in our classrooms.
3: Peel is talking to me over Zoom while bouncing a seven-month-old boy on her lap. She says that's another thing about her culture her professors tend to not understand.
2: A lot of Alaska Native students are not traditional students, meaning like they're not right out of high school. Um, they're not single. They're
3: not, um, they, a lot of them have kids. She says her experience at the Juno campus has been an improvement, but there could be a reason for that. I've primarily switched to Alaska Native Studies and languages, Um, so all of my professors are Alaska Native, and I've kind of just, like, retreated into this little safe space. (laughs) In the past, Peel was often the only Alaska Native student in her classes, and more often, the only Alaska Native woman in her classes. She says that was intimidating, and experiences like that could be contributing to the lack of retention among students like her. That's part of the reason why she decided to help get the Alaska Native Success Initiative off the ground at UAS.
2: I'm thankful that the chancellor and a couple other non-Alaska Native people who were on that committee were um, open to change and open
3: to recognizing how they're comfortable in their whiteness. (laughs) Alaska Natives represent about 20% of the UAS student population, but only about 7% of its faculty and staff. UAS Chancellor Karen Carey says she wants those numbers to be closer together. That would mean hiring more Alaska Native staff.
1: You know, just in terms of looking at things like hiring practices, are we really making sure that we are getting the most diverse pool of candidates that we can?
3: This week, the Board of Regents will be hearing the three campuses present their plans for accomplishing those goals.
1: We'll also be doing some training for all of our faculty and staff. Because if you're coming here from, say, Chicago or Kansas or Texas, and you're moving here to work, you may not know anything about the Alaska Native populations.
3: Ronalda Cadiente-Brown is the Associate Vice Chancellor for Alaska Native Programs at UAS. She played a big part in coming up with the plan they'll present to the board.
2: There's not one size that fits all for any Alaska Native student. The course of study, what they bring to the university setting, the demands on them from the goals and desires that they have and the levels of support, there are so many variables that we hope by this work that we do our best to improve this system so that we have basically an an, answer of support for anyone and everyone that needs it.
3: Once the campus plans are approved, changes could come as soon as the fall semester. In Juneau, I'm Bridget Dowd.
0: I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. Good morning.